0: The Father's glory Blaze, spirit blaze Set our hearts on fire Flow, river flow Flood the nation With grace and mercy Send forth be light. Shine, Jesus, shine, fill this land with the Father's glory. Blaze, spirit, blaze, set our hearts on fire. Flood the nation with grace and mercy. Send forth your word, Lord, and let there be love. Amen. All right, you can be seated.
1: This morning I turned to the book of John what's in the or the book of 1 John what's in the book of 1 John that would make me want to turn there what is 1 John about or what do you think of when you think of 1 John love exactly felt like I needed a little love this morning turned to 1 John and a verse that I've read many times spoke to me in a different way than it's ever spoken to me before Phil can you read 1 John 4 verse 18 How often, Well, I guess I'll start back, the first day or Friday of last week or Saturday maybe it was, Fred and I were talking and we were like, wouldn't it be fun in so many ways to just go into a little house in the woods, surround ourselves with our family, never do anything dangerous, never do anything that could possibly cause grief again. But we don't need to live that way. If we'd live that way, what would I miss? I would miss all of this. I would miss the friends, the family that we have in Christ, the body of Christ that we are together. We would miss that. Yes, we would be free of pain, if you will. When you don't let anybody in, there's no pain. But when we let others into our lives, when we let others speak into our lives, be a part of our lives, there's probably gonna be pain. I think um, Judd said it to me the other night. He said, those that are closest to us, we're gonna receive pain from, no matter what. Whether it be pain and death, whether it be pain and disappointment in each other, we're gonna have that pain But the greatest thing we have is the lack, we do not have to have fear in love. Because if our love is from us, then it's not worth it. But if our love is from Christ, it's worth it. Because if He can love us, how many times have I disappointed Him? How many times have I let Him down? Yet He still continues to love. It doesn't stop. If he can love me without fear, how can I not love others and him without fear? Another thought to add to this. Are we doing it through God's strength within us or are we doing it by ourselves? Are we living this life in love with others because of God and because he first loved us as it says so that we can love others or are we doing it on myself? So I had to read an article to me on the way to church this morning. I thought it fit so perfectly to this. If you could have heaven perfect, no sickness, all your friends there, all the entertainment perfected in the way you wanted it, no work, no weeds, no accidents, no death, perfect heaven, but no Christ. Would that still sound appealing to you? Would that be heaven to you? Or is heaven to us Christ? And this comes back to that love. If that love that I have to others is because of Christ in me, working in me, then I can give that love out. But if that love is only because of myself then it's not gonna do anything. Because then I'm living in a heaven that does not actually involve Christ. But I want heaven to be because of Christ living within me. And when I get to heaven, that is the very purpose and the glory of heaven. It's not just because all my friends will be around. It's not because everybody is and everything is perfect, but it's perfect because Christ is there. That's the reality of heaven.
2: Couple verses um, that have been special, I guess, to me. Well, the one that I've thought of a lot is just so simple, um, but it is that God is near to the brokenhearted, you know. And I felt, I don't know about all of you, but I felt God's presence so close um, in the last week and a half. The pain is of losing Laurie is unbelievable, you know. He doesn't take our pain away, but he is near. And I know that he doesn't leave us broken hearted. He will comfort the broken hearted. He will heal the broken hearted. And I know that he will he will still be there tomorrow. He will be there next week for all of us if we just put our trust in him and turn to him. And I found myself wanting to get distracted and distract myself with other things or just try to numb the pain in different ways. And I keep just hearing his sweet, still voice just saying, Come to me. I want to comfort you. I want to hold you. I will give you rest. I will heal the brokenhearted. Um, there's a couple verses that I love. Psalm 73, 26 says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. In John 11, 25, it says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do we truly believe this, that Laurie, Even though we buried her body, she is very much alive today. And we can join with her and all the hosts of heaven in praising. We don't need to weep and mourn. I mean, we do. We do that. But like everyone, um, or like the world does, we get to join in in praise and worship and adoration with her and little Rebecca. Yeah. Yeah. I just love love that thought that even though we buried her body Laurie's very much alive today. I feel like they should stand for this one.
1: Okay, she wants you to stand <laughs> for this one.
2: I don't like to boss them around, but I'll let you. <laughs>
3: Okay, oh, not yet, sorry, not yet, yet, but you can just set them there, thank you. (laughs) Okay, today, I'm going to read you a verse, I'm going to tell you a verse, no, I'm going to read it. We're going to talk about something called trust, so you guys be thinking, um, what does it mean to trust somebody? Trust in Jesus. Wait, wait just a second. Okay, the verse is trust. Um, trust the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all your ways, and He will make your paths straight. So, when we say trust, what does it mean to trust Jesus or to trust somebody? You have an idea. Wow, yes, yeah, that is a very, he said, do you want to repeat it?
2: It's if someone asks you to do something, uh, you, they believe that you can do it without doing anything wrong or doing it, doing it, not doing it.
3: Very good. Anyone else have another idea what it means to trust someone when you trust your mommy and daddy or you trust a friend or you trust a brother? He just about said it all, didn't he? <laughs> I looked up the definition in the dictionary. And trust means, um, and I forgot my glasses, but It means that we trust someone that they're honest, that they will do what they say they're going to do, that they'll come through, and that we can really expect, we can hope. But not just hope, like, I hope tomorrow it won't rain. Hope in the sense of we know it's not going to (laughs) rain, which we can't. But we can hope in something that we know is true and we know the outcome. And so trust is we know the outcome. And that's the way we need to trust God. We know that God is honest. He he will do what he says he's going to do always. He'll do it well. And we can expect a good result and we can hope in God because he will accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And we're going to do a little experiment and then we'll talk about the second half of the verse after we do that. So I want to ask for a volunteer... Maybe, okay, okay, let's see, of the three. Well, you were first, so maybe, let's see, yeah, you'll be our volunteer. Now, it, ha- it needs to be someone who's going to share about what he experienced afterward. Is that okay for you? Yes. To share about what you experienced? Okay, so you're going to go out in the kitchen, and I need some adult who can volunteer and go with him. Katie, and here's a, I don't know if this might work, we need to blindfold him, yeah, so we are going to, well, I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to take you, we're going to start there, and I'm going to take you up onto this stage, okay, and you have to trust me, I'm going to lead you, okay, and I'll tell you when we're ready, okay, so I need some help, you kids can help me setting up. Okay, you're going to just hold on to my arm right here. Okay, here we go. We're gonna go up a step. So you have to lift your foot up. Uh, Lift a little higher. Huh, wait, come back (laughs) down. Okay, this is pretty hard to get over, isn't it? Okay, let's hang on here. (laughs) Okay. Okay, here we are at the goal. How did that make you feel?
2: Uh, very, I have no idea what you (laughs) did. That's right.
3: But did you, how did you feel about the end result? (laughs) So how'd you finally get over? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Yeah. So, did you wonder why we were going around in a circle? What you didn't see is we were about to run into two guys that were fighting. So, I took you around the circle so that they could get through with their fight by the time we came through. <laughs> so, what do you think that shows us about trust? You know, when God says, um, trust in me and I will make your path straight. Sometimes we think that means it's a straight path right to where we're going. But I think more than that, it means that he will remove the obstacles or he'll help us around the obstacles or when we just can't do anything. He may may even send an angel. An angel came and helped me lift you over. (laughs) But God will really help us to reach the goal that he has for us and reach that plan that he has for each one of us. And we can really trust him, can't we? That he's going to get us there. Even when we think, why are we going around in a circle? Or why did we have to turn the opposite way of where we're going? (laughs) So I want all of you kids to remember that God is always with us. He's always leading us. And even sometimes when it doesn't feel like he's leading us the right way or in the right direction, he's there. And he's going to make sure that we get to where he wants us to go. Thanks. Thanks for everyone that volunteered.
4: That was a great illustration, those kind of illustrations do very good at uh, sticking in your minds, especially those of young children, I don't think they'll ever forget that. So, Once again, thank you all for being here, Chilton's, is good to see you here again, good to have your kids up here again, that's a blessing, God bless you guys as you continue in your lives and the challenges you face, we're glad that you're here with us this morning um, what do we have for do we have any any announcements this week is there anything midweek I've kind of lost track of uh, our calendar and where we're at so don't think we have any announcements as far as the church goes for this week um, next Sunday I believe we'll be having a hymn sing Sunday so uh, come and enjoy that and uh, we'll lift our voices, and sing it out. As usual, we have a lunch after the service, so everyone please stay and enjoy that. If I'm not mistaken, we're having a baked potato bar or something like that. I tell you, I'm looking forward to that one. That is going to be good. So stay and enjoy that and enjoy the time of fellowship. Um, I think that's pretty much it for announcements. And On a back table there, we do have a tribute set up to Laurie, and there are uh, the Yoder family had these little pamphlets uh, typed up, and there were quite a few left over at the funeral, and sent a bunch of them home with us, so please help yourselves to these pamphlets. It's a a, uh, tribute to the life of of Laurie, and um, I think you'll find it a blessing, so feel free to take those that are on this uh, table in the back here, continue to pray for Jason. He's certainly going uh, to need our prayers. He's going to be traveling for a, a little bit here, and i um, not sure when he plans to be back in Colorado, but it'll be several weeks yet. And I knew it was, yeah, something like that, but I don't know if there's a fixed date to it, so maybe a few weeks till we see him here again, but pray that God would continue to comfort him and and heal his heart and and uh, give him direction as he goes forward in this season of his life and as a church here let's pray that we can walk with him and and uh, be a strength and a support to him as well i think that's all i have for announcements brother john olive is going to be uh, sharing the word with us so come on up here john and we'll uh have a prayer, and I'll turn the time over to you. Father, we come to you this morning. I thank you for my brother John. I thank you for your word, and I thank you that you are using him as a vessel to, to share your word. So I pray, Father, that your spirit would be on him this morning, that he would speak the words that you would have him to say that your spirit would uh, be on each one of our lives that the words that you have spoken that have been true all these years would go deep into our hearts and minds and bear fruit in our lives this morning through the words that our brother shares. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, brother.
5: Good morning. It's uh, good to see everybody again. It's good to have hope, isn't it? <laughs> hope is uh, is a good thing, especially in difficult times. I, I finally replaced my Bible after 20 years, and I got a new Bible cover, and so I'm still getting used to everything. It's heartbreaking to replace a Bible because thousands and thousands of notes and underlining and it's all gone um but you know it was just falling apart i, I what can you do um so i uh, as with most of my sermons these are things that uh, have worked out over over many years as some of you know i i do a lot of ministry to people in recovery from substance abuse and other addictions, uh, pornography, whatever. And that's been going on for, for 20 years. Um, last, the last nine or ten years, I've also worked in a uh, uh, substance abuse treatment center, doing Bible studies once a week. And uh, and really, it's that experience that, that drives this message, which is called Reaching the Skeptic. Reaching the skeptic, and uh, the uh, what I what I've seen over the years is that uh, occasionally there is uh, someone in the Bible study who is uh, uh, you know very closed. <laughs> They're there because uh, their Psalm 107 experiences have forced them to uh, realize that life isn't working for them. And uh, and so they're, they're going to come to the Bible study, but they are extremely skeptical. Uh, many of them have been about atheists all their lives. And, and it's only because of the pressures of life, the things like you know, what y'all have experienced this past week, uh, that have made them bitter and angry and driven them into... Uh, addiction I, I've never met anybody who ch- chose addiction for a lifestyle never it doesn't it doesn't happen that way they get into addiction because they are trying to medicate and deal with the trauma of life as 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 we can do that with hope uh, uh, they they can't because they don't have any hope and so this is like the first time that the door has been slightly cracked open, you know, like that oyster shell, and you're sticking the knife blade in, and and uh, and so I can recognize them immediately. And so, listening to them over the years and their questions, uh, I, I kind of uh, developed a strategy for how to reach uh, people who were uh, not not really open to the gospel yet, but but they're they're at least questioning what they believed, and you you'll have friends and family and and many people that you'll meet like that in life, and so this is kind of my blueprint for how I approach them and how I uh, uh, deal with um, with that. So I start with really really big picture things like uh, the evidence of God's existence. Take them to Romans chapter 1, and we, we talk about the uh, evidence of, of God in the, uh, in the creation, that uh, there's something here. There's, there's matter, there's, uh, there's a sky, there's sunlight, there's all these things, and where do they, they come from? Uh, we talk about some philosophical concepts. For every effect, there is a cause. That's just a, a truism. And, and God, uh, Psalm 90 verse 1, God is everlasting to everlasting. He is the uncaused cause. He is the only um, being that is that is not caused. The only thing that's not caused in the universe, in, in eternity, is God. And um, uh, And then we talk about the, the earth itself, and the universe, and all the things that have been created, because Genesis 1-1 tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So, Scripture says there is a beginning, and for centuries, atheists uh, believed that there was no beginning. They believed that the universe was eternal. And so it did not need a cause. Uh, and then the, the, uh, uh, a couple of things interceded to where scientists now have to concede that the universe had a beginning, which is exactly what Scripture says. And those two things, anybody know what they might be? Um, scientifically that that uh, forces uh, the scientific community to conclude that there was a beginning to the universe yes that is one of them that's actually the, the probably the, the more difficult one to conceptualize but the law of entropy does that energy, Moves from a state of, of usableness to uh, homogeneity, to where there there is no uh, energy left to do anything. And so, if the if the universe was eternal, okay, then at some time long, long, long ago, uh, the the universe would have reached heat death, where there were no more stars that were on fire. There was no more usable energy to do anything because stars are consuming energy every every second, right? So stars will eventually burn out. And so uh, the fact that there is still light outside and there's a sun still burning and at night you can see a lot of stars in the sky tell us that we've not reached heat death yet. And if we and heat death means that everything has reached a point of absolute zero temperature. There's no, more, there's no more stars, there's no more energy, there's nothing left. And we would have already reached that at some point in the, in the far distant past if the universe was eternal. And so uh, that is one of the, the major factors that cause scientists to say we've had a beginning. There's another one that is, uh, is mentioned in Scripture... Uh, Several times, and it was the Hubble telescope uh, back in the 30s, I believe, uh, 40s, that actually identified this particular phenomenon called a a redshift in the the latent uh, background atmosphere of of the universe. Uh, A redshift occurs when an object is moving away from you. So think of Doppler radar. If you get a vehicle that's traveling away from you and you put a radar gun on it, you'll get a you'll get a redshift phenomenon. And uh, and so there was this this redshift in the in the in the universe in the background radiation. And what it indicates is that the galaxies in the universe are moving away from each other. They are still expanding, which also, is a very biblical concept. Uh, I won't read them to you, but Isaiah 40, verse 22, Isaiah 42, verse 5, Isaiah 45, 12, Psalm 104, 2, and Job 9, 8, all talk about God stretching out the heavens, both in past tense and ongoing. And so the, the redshift and the background of the universe, if if I throw an object away from me, and it's traveling away from me, then it had a starting point, right? If it's moving away from me, then to go back in time, it's getting closer and closer. And so when something is being expanded, uh, that points to a point of origin. And so those two things, the expansion of the universe that is still ongoing, and the law of entropy, the second law of thermodynamics, proved scientifically that the universe had an origin. So, if the universe has an origin, then there has to be a mechanism to put the universe uh, as a starting point. And how did that happen? Well, logically, there, there can be only, only two possibilities at one of those is that there is an uh, omnipotent God who uh, created the universe, and, uh, and that's what Scripture tells us. The other uh, possibility is that the universe created itself from nothing. Now, I know that doesn't sound like a logical proposition, uh, but most people don't think about that because they don't let themselves think about that. And there are some scientists who, I read, read one this week, um, who actually believes that, that nothing is quite powerful. In fact, he said, quote, uh, nothing is almost everything. And he said nothing had mass, and nothing had energy, and nothing, I mean, it's like, Wow. Okay, so, um, but if you, are, if you are just a little bit open... Now, now what do you do if you, say, if you say nothing created? What you get to scientifically is that because of gravity, things tend to uh, collapse and come together. And so the, the idea of nothing created is that in some point in the far distant past there was a, what is called a singularity. A singularity is an infinitesimally small amount of mass that is infinitely dense and it contains all the mass that is in the entire universe in something that is much, much, much smaller than a pinhead. Okay? Now, but we, we still have a problem because where did that little bit of infinitesimal mass come from? It's you know, it's like we still don't have an answer, but then it exploded and voila, we have galaxies and stars and and us. Okay, well, you know, I can't do anything with that. If that is where somebody's at in their belief system, they need some more Psalm 107 experience. They're just going to have to get beat over the head a little bit more until they uh, have that Belief system shaken, and uh, I'm not. I'm not dealing with them. I'm dealing with people who are, are able to say, "Okay, um, maybe there is a God." Now, I'm, I'm still not, uh, still not finished yet. So I do a little bit of talking about DNA and the structure of DNA and and the the information system. You know, they say scientists say, well, there's there's uh, matter, space, and time, and it's all there is. What else is there besides matter, space, and time? What does DNA have in it that is not matter, space, and time? Anybody know what that is? Yes, thank you, Christopher. Information. That is exactly right. Information is not matter. It is not space. It is not time. Information is something derived by an intellectual mind. And who designed that? Who built that in? We have now moved beyond the realm of matter, space, and time. And information is a mind-blowing concept when you think about that. So that's one of the things I use. Uh, Job twelve seven to 10 says, The animals and fish... Teach us about God. And so, um, uh, what is it? Incredible creatures that defy evolution. There's like three, four episodes now uh, by the dentist from uh, Baylor. Um, one of my favorites that I use is the bombardier beetle. Anybody ever heard of the bombardier beetle? A few of you have. Oh, you, you got to know about the bombardier beetle. you got to know about this. This is the most amazing creature it, it's, it's a little guy, and he, he mixes two chemicals in his abdomen that are in separate chambers, and then he's got an asbestos-lined chamber in his abdomen where these chemicals uh, interact, and they turn into steam, 212 degrees Fahrenheit. And he shoots it out like a machine gun at his rear end, And this is his only defense mechanism. You've got to study the bombardier beetle because you're going to think about this when you do. Google search it. And come up with a way, come up with a way that this could have happened by accident, by chance. Okay, all right, so he's got the chemicals and he's going to mix them together, but oh no, his abdomen isn't lined with asbestos. And so he goes, poof, and he blows up. And he doesn't evolve, and we don't have a, another bombardier beetle. You just—you can't possibly have all these things work together without this animal exploding and burning himself up, unless he was all put together to do this in the first place. You know, talk about irreducible complexity. He's it. Anyway, um, so and yes, and this is how I talk to people when I'm when I'm sharing this stuff because it excites me. It gets me really excited because I love to see the light bulb go on in their eyes, you know? And uh, so, but but now we move into more difficult stuff because one of the most frequent questions I get hit with is death, disease, and suffering. The things that we've been dealing with this past week. And it's like, okay, I'll, I'll grant you there's a God. I'll, there's, there's a God up here. Why do all these bad things happen? Okay? That's a, that's a very valid question and one that we have to answer. So what I do is I take them back to Genesis 1. We talk about how at the end of, of creation, uh, everything was very good. There was no death, disease, and suffering. Uh, the only thing being consumed for food were uh, herbs and plants. Uh, there, was, there was no animal death yet. And then we moved into Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man, the curse, and, uh, and then the uh, statement from Paul in Romans 5.12 that death entered the universe through one man's sin, and that was Adam. And so we, human beings, are the source of death, disease, and suffering, not God. And then I go, aha, I got you. And they're like, no, not so fast. There's a problem with that. You know what the problem is? Anybody want to guess what that problem is? Who's who's responsible for the creation of the universe? God. Okay. And uh, did did he cause death, disease, and suffering? No. But what did he do? Did he know what was going to happen? He did, didn't he? He, he? he did know what was going to happen. And so God allowed death, disease, and suffering. All right? That's something we cannot ignore when we're dealing with people that are, that are skeptics. Because to them, that's a deal breaker. I don't want to have anything to do with a God that would purposely create a universe in which he knew all the nasty, rotten, awful things that were going to happen, happened. So, um, how do I deal with that? (laughs) Well, uh, the first time that happened, I don't know, it was probably probably, uh, eight, nine years ago. I think it was the first year I was doing work in the treatment center. I was like, okay, you're on the spot, man. I mean, it's like, there it is. Come up with something. Like, Lord, I need some help. (laughs) So I said, um, imagine that you are on a desert island. And you are all by yourself. There is no one else around. And you are infinitely loving and kind and uh, giving uh, and holy and righteous And there is no way to express that. There is no way to uh, share that uh, knowledge with anybody because there's no one there. Jesus said, Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. The greatest act of love is self-sacrifice for others. So in a world that... Um, that rejects God uh, and in, inherits evil, God has a stage on which to display His own character by coming into that world as a man and suffering everything that we've suffered this past week and, and much, much more. Uh, to indicate and display the love that he has being willing uh, to endure torture and and murder of the most cruel form in order to win his rebel children back and have fellowship with them and and I don't know if that is a you know, you may have another explanation or another way to describe it, but this is what God gave me, and and I have had very very good success with sharing that message, because people want to know, not they want to understand how God could allow the things that happen that happen in this world, and uh, and I think the secret is here. That, that it is a stage in which God is able to demonstrate his character in a way that, that could not be done in any other way, no other form of, of love and demonstration of that than the cross. And, uh, and to endure the cross, he has to be in a world that allows death because uh, uh, that is the greatest example of love that is possible for all time and forever. So, um, so that's how we we do that. If I can get them past that stage, then the next thing that I that I want to do is I want to start developing a framework for the authority and trustworthiness of the Word of God, because that's where we're going to learn out of our lessons. That's where we're going to learn the things, the principles of life, and how to uh, to live our life in a way that. Uh, honors God and, uh, and helps them succeed in the things that they want to do. So, that's my next challenge, is I've, I've got to, you know, undo all the damage done by the Discovery Channel and the History Channel about how the Word of God is, is, you know, full of falsehoods or whatever. So, I start with the Bible itself. The Bible claims to be the Word of God and infallible. So, we talk about infallibility, because infallibility... You know, if I, if I read a book in the Bible right here, that's not infallible, okay? The autograph was infallible. The original writing was infallible. It was the one that was God-breathed, not the one that is in your Bible that you have in your hand right now, okay? That that's, is not the autograph. That is a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. And, and, and God never promises that every jot and tittle of uh, what we have in our hands today is, is uh, without error. The original writings were without error. And so, since it was written a long time ago, how much confidence can we have that the Bible in our hands today is trustworthy? That's an important question. So, one of the ways I do that um, is... I go back to the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were discovered in 1947, and the uh, and I use as an example the uh, scroll of Isaiah because there were about 20 copies, I believe, found in uh, in the in the caves at the Dead Sea then, and so before that, before 1947, the most current available manuscript of Isaiah. Was written about 900 AD, okay, uh, and Isaiah wrote wrote the autograph um, in approximately 700 BC. So there's a large gap there uh, of um, uh, you know 1,500 years plus between when Isaiah wrote his autograph and the and the most recent copy that we have in existence. Now, in 1947, when they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls, carbon dating proved that the scrolls there dated back to 175 B.C., okay? So, we go from 900 A.D., and we move back uh, 1,075 years to 175 B.C., and now we're only about 550 years or so from the autograph. So instead of being, you know, 1,500 plus years, we're now only 500 years away. Are you following me? Shake your head if you are. Okay? All right. So so it was really exciting because everybody's like, "What? Well, well, cool. Because now we've got these, these letters of, of Isaiah that are much closer to the original. And how much different are these to the ones that are 900 A.D.? You know, is there a lot of change? What, what kind of, uh, is there a lot of discrepancy? So when they looked at um, the Dead Sea Scrolls compared to the last Masoretic text from 900 AD, the, the, the NIV translators made only 16 very minor changes in, uh, in their new versions after that. Things like uh, uh, water instead of sea, you know, uh, very, very minor uh, changes. And so there was a high degree of confidence that, uh, that Isaiah, at least Isaiah, had not changed significantly from the time that Isaiah wrote it. And so this is one of the ways that I, that I build up credibility for the Bible being uh, reliable And trustworthy and uh, and so that's my next that's my next challenge with them is to say uh, all right so now once we have that the Bible is is trustworthy then we're going to uh, make ourselves a student of that Bible and we're going to see what it says about itself and begin to uh, uh, use it as our, as our text for, for learning. And so, I don't remember when God gave me this, but uh, there are some really cool passages in Isaiah uh, 41. If you want to turn there, to you got your Bible with you. Uh, verses uh, 21 through 24, uh, 21 through 23, it says... Present your case, says the Lord, bring forth your strong reasons, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring forth and show us what will happen. Let them show the former things what they were, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them. Or declare to us things to come. Show the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know you are gods. Yes, do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed and see it all together, see it together. And then um, Isaiah 46 uh, has another similar passage, uh, verse 9 of Isaiah 46. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. So I, I say, hey guys, here's the deal. God says that if he's God, then he is able to predict the future. And if anybody says they're God, they've got to be able to do the same thing. But he says, I'm the only one who can. So where do you think I'm going to go with that? I'm going to go into the Old Testament and start looking at prophecy. Because a third of the Bible is prophecy. And, uh, and so what I want to do is say, look, God says here's a way you can test to find out if I'm God or not. You don't have to take me on blind faith. I'm giving you a test that you can use to evaluate whether I'm God. And they're like going... Wow, that's pretty cool. So then I start talking about prophecy, and some of the things I cover are Cyrus, Isaiah 44 and 45, uh, where a hundred years before Cyrus is born, God names Cyrus to be the one who will uh, authorize the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. So, um, but I'm just getting warmed up when I start on that one. Then, uh, then I go to um, Alexander the Great and the destruction of the city of Tyre in Ezekiel 26. And I'll even show them the Google Earth map, you know, which shows that, that, the, that Tyre is connected by this thick land bridge now. Uh, but it was, it was not. That land bridge wasn't there. That land bridge was formed when Alexander the Great took all the rubble from the, the coastal city of Tyre and threw it into the ocean, and built a bridge out to the island city, which uh, that uh, Nebuchadnezzar had never been able to conquer. Alexander the Great took all the rubble from the coastal city, and threw it in the river and in the, in the ocean. Actually, built a causeway out and conquered Tyre, and that that uh, causeway created a massive now. A massive bridge out to uh, Tyre. And it's all right here in Scripture that was going to happen. It's just, it's so cool. And um, so then, after that, I'll go to Psalm 22, and we'll look at the um, prophetic Scripture, uh, the Messianic um, prophecies of David, where he is like channeling the things that are happening to Jesus on the cross. His bones are out of joint. His heart melts like wax. He's thirsty. Uh, uh, my God, my God, why is that forsaken? And we go to the New Testament and we show all the correlations. And I say, look, here is David experiencing the crucifixion. And, and he writes this in like you know 700 B.C. or something. And crucifixion is not even a thing yet. In fact, Alexander the Great is the one who introduced crucifixion to the world uh, at Tyre in 332 B.C. So David is is experiencing crucifixion that doesn't even exist. And here is is Jesus experiencing all these things. And and David's writing about that um, a thousand years before. And so they're like, well, that's pretty cool. And then if they haven't been fully convinced, we go to Genesis 22 and I show them the, the uh, uh, prophecy about the crucifixion that happens in the same place with uh, Isaac and Abraham and all the things. I've actually done a sermon here, uh, I think, Pat last year about that. And by that time, their mind is blown. And if they've stuck with me for about three weeks you will find no better disciple than a man who has gone through that experience. He has come to the point of knowing that God is real, His Word is real, and He is who He says He is. And and, and it's just a matter of laying these things out in a logical progression so that they understand uh, that, um, that there actually is a purpose to the pain and suffering that they have endured in their lives and it is to come to that point of actually being able to acknowledge that they have a creator and that they have an obligation to serve him so those are the things that uh, that I work through with them Um, sometimes I also talk about um, in fact I usually do this I'll talk about the Passover in Exodus 12 and the, and the blood on the doorpost and the lintel and, and the blood in the basin. And show them that that is a perfect picture of the cross. The blood in the basin, the doorpost and the lintel back here. And say, uh, and see this is, this is un, undeniable because when the death angel comes over uh, the house and sees the blood, he passes over it, Right? He doesn't, he doesn't say, oh, but wait a minute, um, uh, Billy Bob in there ain't living right. And so that he, he doesn't get a pass. It's like, oh, no, there's not a word spoken about the character or lifestyle of anybody in that house. All God is looking at is do the people in that house trust the blood or not? If they trust the blood, they get a pass. They get passed over. That, folks, is grace. That is the cross. And so this is, it's like, you just can't believe. When the light bulb goes on, there is, there is no better feeling on this side of heaven than to see a man whose life has been wrecked by his own misery and he realizes, wow, there is a God. And I can know him. And he can restore me to sanity. And, and you know, I, I, that is what motivates me every day. <laughs> that is, is awesome. So once I've got them there, then we, we turn inward and say, all right, so what do you need to do about this? And the Bible is very clear about that. It is called Repentance. It is It is the doorway through which we come into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. John the Baptist, uh, his message was, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus started his public ministry, he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, Peter's first sermon in Acts chapter 2, what shall we do? Repent. Uh, and, then, and then Paul sums it up well in, uh, in Acts uh, 17 when he says, God commands all men everywhere to repent. So repentance is is key. And uh, when when that happens, then I sh- then I take them and show them that the gospel is power, because they need power. They have a life-threatening condition that is going to kill them, uh, and it's 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 their addiction, and they know that they're going to die. Uh, fairly quickly, most likely, if they don't get a handle on it. And so, after I bring them to this point, I point to them to Romans 1.16. The gospel is the power of God. And then the greatest, the greatest emancipation proclamation in the history of the universe is found in Galatians 5.16, which says, Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And and that's what they gotta have. That's what they gotta have. Now, these guys make the strongest, most committed disciples of anybody I've worked with. And I and I've I've agonized over that because the ones most of the guys I, I work with uh, have grown up in some kind of religious background. Either they're Catholic or Baptist or whatever. Um and they by and large don't do nearly as well as these guys do. And I've I've thought about that, prayed about it, tried to figure out what's going on, and here's what I believe happens. When if let's say let's say you're a Baptist, I grew up Baptist, so I can pick on Baptist. And let's say you're a Baptist and you've got your theology all worked out. Uh, and you've got a really superficial relationship with God uh, but it's truth as far as you know it and uh, and you eventually wind up through your own stupidity uh, becoming addicted to uh, controlled substance or pornography or whatever um, then your your understanding of your theology uh, did not, stop you from becoming addicted, right? And so how is your understanding of your theology going to put you into recovery and make you successful in recovery? It cannot and it will not. There's got to be some fundamental change in your understanding of your theology because it didn't work for you. And usually with that that problem is is they don't have they've never gone through the door of repentance. They are believers in in mind only. They have not submitted their will to the Lordship of Christ. That is their problem. And now my difficulty (laughs) is trying to point out why their theology isn't working and they don't want to hear it. Because it's like I know I'm I'm a believer. I'm I'm good. You know? Well, then why are you why are you an addict? Why are you struggling with your addiction? Well, I don't know. I'm just you know a sinner saved by grace. You can't imagine how many times I've heard that a sinner saved by grace. Where is that in Scripture? Excuse me. Where, where in Scripture does it say that you are today a sinner and you are saved by grace? It does not, and never. Has and never will. You were a sinner, past tense. You are saved by grace, and you are now empowered to live beyond the power of sin. Go read Romans six, and and that until and, and, and so they make excuses for themselves, and I and I and I can't get them out of that. That I, I would I would. The guy who says there's a singularity that exploded and so everything is... I would rather deal with him than with the guy who says I'm a sinner saved by grace. I can't do nothing with that guy. Nothing. Until the Lord shows, opens his eyes and shows him that his theology is seriously flawed and that is why he is still stuck in his addiction. I can't do anything with him. But these guys, these skeptics... When, when when the Lord opens their eyes, they don't have any of that incorrect theology to deal with. They know they got to repent. And, and and we go through it. I mean, I, I tell them right up front I said, you know, God will deliver you and he'll guarantee you uh, power to overcome your addiction. But only one way is he going to do that, and it's 100% complete surrender. It's the difference between. The hams and the eggs at breakfast. You know about that, don't you? Okay. If you if you haven't heard of that, you know the 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 farmer was was talking uh, and telling his, his wife he wanted ham and eggs for breakfast, and the chicken and the and the pig overheard him outside the window, and uh, the the chicken said, "Well, that sounds that sounds good to me," and the pig said, "Well, yeah, it would." For you, it's a contribution. For me, it's total commitment. Right? If he's going to have ham for for breakfast, the pig is going to have to give it all. And that and that's why I tell those guys right up front. And so they know from the very beginning what God is asking of them. And we're not playing games because their lives are at stake, and they know that. And uh, so so this is this is how I present it. And and I and so I encourage you. Don't run away from those people in your life. They they are they can make the most awesome disciples you've ever seen if if you can answer their questions and and usually what it is it's just one question just one question that is that is stopping them from fully embracing a relationship with God and ask them what is that question and when they ask you that question um, and you can answer it successfully. Wow, you've you've got you've got, you've got uh, fertile soil right there to plant the gospel seed, and uh, and the misery that they have experienced in their lives can become the fertilizer that springs up into eternal life. And so um, that's that's what I wanted to share with you all today. I, I you know I, after after Lori's death I, I really. I wondered, Lord, should I change the message? Should I do? It's like, no, no. Because the church has, still has business to attend to here. Lori is safe. She's in a good place, so is the baby. The, the other 7 billion people on this planet are not. And we can't waste a minute in trying to reach them so that they can have a hope like we have a hope to endure the things that, that we have to go through.
4: Thank you John for sharing what is really the simplicity of the gospel. Sometimes we can get caught up in things or ideas that sound so complex, but but yet it's it comes down to the simplicity of the gospel and I've always said, you know, it 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 takes it takes a whole lot less faith if you will to believe the scripture, as you laid out this morning, and the case for God, then the amount of faith that it takes to believe that, boom, there's just some explosion. But yet, so often, those that have faith in Christ are ridiculed as uh, being... Weak and needing to have faith and that kind of thing. When it takes, from my perspective anyway, it takes far more faith to believe in just this explosion. So, it's it's a blessing to just be reminded again of of what an awesome God we serve and and how He is just made known through His Word, through the universe. There's really nothing that is left out. And if we just open our hearts to believe he's there to reveal himself in all these different ways, so many different ways, and that is a comfort to know. So that brings us to the conclusion of this part of our service. Once again, we will have our meal here shortly, so stay and enjoy that time of fellowship as well. Gary.
1: I um, uh, was talking with Jason last night, and he just said, for those of you that are here want to know how to pray for him, he said, just pray that God would show him daily how to, how to get through it. He said, I realize," he said, about 6 o'clock in the evening is about the hardest time for me. He said, because I just want to sit down and I want to talk with Lori about all the things I don't know what to do. And he said, I'm realizing I have to make all these decisions on my own and I don't, I don't have her to talk to. And he said, I really don't know where to even start to make some of these decisions in my life. He said, just pray that God would, would reveal to him where to go and what to do as far as just the daily decisions of life. Um, and also that God would give him a purpose, something to live and live for. And for all of you that feel like you can't or haven't had something to do or haven't been able to invest into Jason, my mother had a friend that I think I'll get this story all screwed up, but the result of it's still the same. But um, she had a friend that didn't die. And when my mom asked her if she was sorry or that she was you know, disappointed that she didn't get to go, die and and be gone she was like oh no she's, she's very old and she said it's okay I'm still here because obviously I still have people to pray for and people need me to be praying what a purpose in life to believe that we are still here to pray and I feel like that in many ways that's the greatest purpose we can have right now for Jason until he returns back to here is just to pray and and allow God to continue to work in him
4: for Jason and, and just in a
1: dismissal prayer. For the Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the message that we can hear today of how you know the beginning from the end. and Lord, that you have been here from the very beginning with us. and Lord, that it is your desire that we come and understand you and trust you in faith, in the knowledge of you. And Lord, I just pray for Jason too today, Lord, as he goes throughout this day, Lord, that his faith would not be shaken, but, Lord, that in you he would find the greatest purpose of all, and in you he would find his strength, his comfort, his joy, and, Lord, that you would show him each and every day, each and every moment of the day, how to live and how to go forward. Speak to him, fill him with your Holy Spirit, Lord, that he would know your voice above everything. Lord, I just thank you for this food that we have here today. I pray that you bless it to our bodies. Bless our fellowship, Lord, as we fellowship with one another. Would we encourage each other and lift each other up, Lord, that someday we may all be together worshiping, fellowshipping around who you are and with you in the greatest place of all. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.
4: Dismissed.